This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Are you here for the first time? Good. Me too. We got an action-packed show here for you, but let me tell you who's in the studio. Me, myself, and I. You can find me, Stanley Fritz, on Twitter at Stan Fritz or on IG at Stan Fritz or on Snapchat. I don't use it, though. Dark skin swindle. I, I think I've heard that line before. Only only I can fix it. Is that what it is? Is that is that your line today? Yes, yes. Only I can fix it. Oh, <laughs> and I'm on Facebook. You can add me on Facebook, but apparently I only have 30 more friends left before Facebook puts me at my cap. So hurry up. There's a cap on Facebook friends? 5,000. 5, yeah, it's about 5,000. Well, you look at you, popular? Mr. Popular. Ooh, Mr. Popular. Yeah. Not really. People just like arguing on my page, so they add me. You're pretty popular. So why don't you unadd the people who you're not actually friends with so you, that you can have actual friends add you? That takes too much work. Anyway, well, welcome to the show, guys. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, where we talk politics, social issues, social justice, hot girl summer, Stanley's hot boy summer that he was having. He seems a little turned down, but I'm here to turn it up. My name is Selena Hill. On Instagram and Twitter, you can follow me at Miss Selena Hill. And Miss is spelled with an M-S. Hey, Alyssa. Hey, good morning, everybody. I am glad to be back this week. Um, I am Alyssa Fuchs. I am your political and mostly legal correspondent and also your influencer. Shout what? out to my t-shirt. Owning it. I um, love it. Um, actually, shout out to my girlfriend who bought me the t-shirt. Um, and uh, I can be found on uh, Facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs. That's I-L-Y-S-S-A-F-U-C-H-S. Um, but I mostly now have been using Instagram and Twitter. So that's at Alyssa Fuchs or Alyssa.Fuchs. Um, one way or the other, you can find me. Or, of course, you can always leave a comment on the Politically Preposterous fan page, which is facebook.com slash politically preposterous. So, yeah. good morning, everybody. Morning. So, we have a very special guest correspondent here. We have Talib Hudson, who is a community-based scholar and advocate from Harlem. He is currently studying public policy at the New School, looking mm. at community-based solutions for street violence. He first met Stanley working on a political campaign back in 2013, mm. forever changing his life. He is also a proud member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Hey, hey Talib. Hey, good morning. Thank you good for letting me you come are, with y'all. You're a friend of WHCR. Yeah, it's funny because... I used to co-host uh, Street Corner Resources Live, what I used to say cool, around 2012, 2013. Um, had to dip off the uh, the mic for a little bit because of a job I had at the time. And so it's always, I always feel like I'm coming back home and I'm coming back into the studio here at WHCR. Even though I'm always amazed at the, the renovations that have been done and, and the way the studio has changed over the years. Mm. But it's it's still it's still home. So that's the studio. Who this? Right. Exactly. Well, exactly. Well, welcome back. Very happy to have you here at WHCR and on Let Your Voice Be Heard. For the first time, Talib is a longtime friend of Stanley and I. And, like, we've been trying to get him on the show for a long, long time. So we're happy to finally make this happen. And, so, yes, so Stanley, couldn't ahead. come on because I was too reckless. A little, a little bit. It was because of bit. you, Stanley? I mean, I was wondering. He had a job where he couldn't do it. But also, do you really want to be on a show where somebody is like, oh, white people are garbage? And, you know, that's probably not going to help your employment situation. Probably not. <laughs> probably not. I hope, I hope no employers are listening right now, I'm a, as I'm a matter a much, of fact. I'm a much kinder, gentler Stanley now. Right, Selena? No. Not at all. <laughs> uh, that depends on what day of the week it is. Right. And, who you're, and, who, and who you're asking. Seriously. So we have a great show lined up. We're going to start off talking about some of the news stories that happened during the week. Those ice raids. Horrible. And then we're going to delve into 
white, radicalized, racist violence in America and what can be done. I mean, it's just shooting after shooting. It's doing nothing but spreading this ideology, this hate. And, you know, there's a history behind it. So we're going to talk about that and uh, what, how it's really manifesting in 2019. So, of course, if you want to let your voice be heard, call in at 212 650 6903. You can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. And if you are watching via Facebook Live, as Alice, um, Allison is and Emanuela and Wendy, leave your comments there on Facebook Live. That is Facebook.com slash Let Your Voice Be Heard. We will incorporate those throughout the show. And shout out to everyone who is not listening live because you're listening via podcast oh, on Spotify, on iHeart, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google. Thank you. We appreciate that as well. And give us some money. Yes. And we also appreciate those who are subscribing or thinking about subscribing. Uh, you should just do it on Patreon.com slash BeHeardRadio. Mm. So all that being said, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're talking all things that happen during the week. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. No. All right, cool. um, <laughs> we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WATR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Mm-hmm. Shout out to all those who are listening live and all those who are listening via SoundCloud or any other podcast community. What up, yep. what up, what up? Speaking of Nicki Minaj, so this past week, there was a top 50 hip hop list that was released by this little known podcast. And apparently they listed all 50 male rappers. They put Joe Button as number three. No, I think I got number one right. It was, who was number one? Biggie, was it? No, Jay-Z. It was Jay-Z. That I, was, that I was, would agree with that. That's accurate. Hold on, Stanley. We're going to let you chime in. No, I just want to give you the list. Oh, you have the list? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> number one, Jay-Z. Number two, Nas. Number three, Joe Button. Number four, Styles P. Number five, Black Thought. Number six, Fabulous. <laughs> Number seven, Jada Kiss. Number eight, Biggie. Nine, Ghostface. Ten, Kendrick Lamar. They even have Lloyd Banks here. They got Lloyd Banks in the top 50 rappers of all time. They have Twister. They have Mace. They have Mace in the top 50. Well, okay, so Stanley actually put out a rebuttal. You did a great article on letsnotbetrash.com, and I think you really took issue with the fact that there were no women rappers on that 50 list, on that top yeah. 50 list. So go ahead, Silly. Tell us what you wrote about. So, yeah, I just highlighted on five female rappers that people should be listening to. They either belong in that top 50 list or did rap circles around your favorite rapper. So we're talking about people like Queen Latifah, Moni Love, Rhapsody, Nicki Minaj, who a lot of people don't like. Cardi B? She, she, no. But <laughs> You're not giving anyone to Cardi? Cardi doesn't write her rhymes. Okay, you know? fair, fair. Yeah, the same reason I wouldn't put Kanye in anybody's top 50 rap list. He doesn't write his rhymes. Uh, but, like, Nicki Minaj can really, really rap. Some honorable mentions. Missy Elliott, who doesn't rap as much but can rap and very well. Lil' um, Kim? Yeah, Lil' Kim. Lauren Hill. She raps? Yeah. Yes. Uh, no, I know she does so, R&B. I just no, didn't no. know she raps. Lauren Hill is an honorable mention because her album, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, is a certified classic. But she raps on, like, two songs on there. Now, the score, she raps more, but that's a group project. So I personally don't count that. I, as going towards your, your solo career. Because, like, I don't give you credit for what, stuff you do with groups. Salif, you look really perplexed right now. What's your response to Stanley's response to the top 50 list? Well, first of all, I think... I, I agree with you. When, you. when you came in with Moni Love, I'm like, yes, okay, most that Rhapsody, cool. I'm with you. All right. 
I'm also agreeing with you with, you know, maybe not having Cardi B up there. Yeah. Although I was at a, a black sociologist conference, did a whole session on sociology of Cardi B, which is dope. However, when you discount Miss Lauren Hill, Miss mm. mm. Lauren Hill. Miss one album, Lauren Hill. I Ooh. play in my enemies like a game of chess. Yes. Mm-hmm. She has given you, wait, you, you don't need 10 albums. You would rather have 10 whack albums on one classic that just gives you bars mm. for decades. But it's only. 32 bars worth of bars because she only raps on two of those songs. That's the first problem. The second problem is when you're talking about the greatest rap of all time, you're not just talking about albums. You're talking about albums. You're talking about ability to make a song. You're talking about lyricism. So delivery, cadence, punchlines, creativity, versatility. You're talking about all those things. You're talking about the impact on the game. And Lauren Hill has a classic album, Impact on the Game. That's it. She's never won any battles. She has never put out an album even, like, slightly close to that. She actually has barely put out any albums. She can't even show up to her own shows. Hey, I went to a Lauren Lauren Hill concert of last month. What time did it start? It started right after the baseball game like it was supposed to be. And and she she came right out. And she was there. It was at City Field. And actually, it was a charity concert for a group that is working on modern-day slavery Mm. and trying to eradicate it. And Mm. she actually showed up for that. I guess her shockers were aligned that day. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, man. Like, she's not, you know. I I love Lauren Hill, but it's one album. Well, she also rapped with the Fugees, and she was, uh, of course, a prominent member um, of, you know, the rap group, which is also classic. Um, Look, if you guys have any qualms with Stanley Slander of Lauryn Hill, please let us know. You can continue leaving those comments on our Facebook Live where Arinja says... Lauren Hill should be on there. So shout out to her. Um, yeah. So I mean, I mean, I saw the list as well. I personally liked Ebro's list even more. His list also went viral. Ebro had Ebro had Nicki Minaj up there. Ebro had Little Kim. I think he put Nicki Minaj over Little Kim, which I was just like, no, because no. obviously Little Kim is a huge influence no, on a Nicki lot Minaj of. Nicki Minaj is over Little Kim. Of I course. don't know about that. Yeah, no, no, that, Little that, Kim that's also did not write her rhyme. Yeah, but Little mm-hmm. Kim paved the way for people like of Nicki course. Minaj. Absolutely. Yeah, she did, and Nicki Minaj. In a time where, it. yeah, I mean, that's fair. You know, but it's at a, you're talking about a time where like women didn't break into the rap game in the way Little Kim was able to. So yeah. I'll give her a you know a pass on the fact that she didn't write all of her rhymes. She can actually spit the bars. I that's mean, for sure. Drake was on these lists, and he doesn't write all of his rhymes either. Drake should not be on a list either. Oh my God, he's one of the top artists. But of he all has ghostwriting. You can't be <laughs> Drake. <laughs> You can- yes, Drake should be up there. You can't be well, at least to me, and maybe I'm a purist, maybe I'm a, I'm an old head hip hop, hip hop kind of guy. But you cannot be considered a goat if anyone has written any rhymes for you. You just can't. Well, I mean, it's not your art now; it's somebody else's. Now, if somebody's like, "Oh, you should make that the chorus," or like throw that in there as a hook, or like say this one thing, that's fine. But wrote a whole song for you, wrote a whole bar, like wrote a whole eight to sixteen bars for you? No, disqualified in my book. Well. Karan Williams left a comment on Facebook Live saying if L Boogie didn't lose her mind, she should have and could have been top 10 of all time. Mm, that correct. I agree with. Um, yes. And she also he also says, you're my bro, Stanley, but only female that can fit into the top 50 is MC Light, who mm. was not mentioned. That is a fact. That is a fact. What about Maya X, though? There's a lot Isn't of amazing. Thank you. Mia X. There's a lot of amazing female rappers that people just do not pay enough respect to. I mean, look, people could say the same thing about Lisa Left Eye Lopez, right? She rapped on a lot of TLC tracks. Um, and she doesn't get the kind of credit. And I, if I'm not mistaken, they wrote all those songs. I mean, maybe not her specifically, but she wrote them with the group. Yeah. So. No, absolutely. So 
Check out Stanley's article on let'snotbetrash.com. Moving things along. Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, yeah, Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, Was so found dead yesterday. There are so many conspiracies around his death. Just really quickly, Alyssa, if you want to give a brief uh, description about what happened and why it's been trending. Uh, I mean, so basically you have this billionaire financier named Jeff Epstein. He gets convicted a couple of years back of uh, like his child sex trafficking thing, but he doesn't go to prison for it because he works out some deal with the DOJ. Um and then a couple, about a month or so ago, he's flying in from Paris and they pick him up at the airport and they charge him with all new counts of child sex trafficking. Um, and they've been investigating him. But the, the real key to this is that he has all this information on lots of other powerful people, everybody from Donald Trump to Hillary Clinton, as ironic as that is. Um, and then about a month ago, he tries to commit suicide, supposedly, and he survives. He's supposed to be on suicide watch. And then yesterday morning, news breaks that he's found dead. They claim he killed himself. There's like a million wild conspiracy theories running around on the left a lot of people are saying that you know donald trump had him knocked off or that you know the doj had something to do with this and that's because he had information about donald trump on the right the narrative is that the clintons had him killed because he had dirt on hillary clinton um i also read somewhere that everybody's in cahoots which you know not for nothing wouldn't surprise me because rich and powerful people on both sides of the aisle will figure out a way to keep their power um, at the expense of the rest of us poor schmoes, which is something we talked about on the show two weeks ago. Well, I think he did commit suicide. And as everyone knows, suicide in Creole means was murdered by someone. So <laughs> I Hold think- on. So you believe the conspiracy theory, Stanley? Yes. No, tell us why. Because you're not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not. Right before he died, it was like they started releasing some of the things from his trial. And one of the sex workers said he had the sex worker go to the former governor of New Mexico and was working with the former like defense minister of Israel. These are things that we know, that he was sending young girls to these people. Can you imagine all the other stuff that was going to come out? And Trump and Bill Clinton messed with him the long way. I think Trump and Bill called each other and was like, yo, you want to just any up on this real quick? They put the money together and they handled that. Yeah, he, he definitely got popped and like knocked off. Talib, do you be- what do you believe is happening? Do you believe the conspiracy? Well, I, I mean, cons- well, conspiracy makes it sound very like uh, nebulous and... All we know is that something happened. You don't have to be a genius to know. Some happened. Some don't seem right. Some smell a little bit funny. And que- some questions need to be asked. I think uh, I heard that uh, AOC and uh, another member of uh, Congress, you know, started calling for investigations and questions and whatnot. So I think, you know, I think that's, you know, that's, that's the way to go. Something doesn't, I mean, he was in what, MDC, right? Manhattan Detention Complex? Yeah, I think so. But like, they, he tried to commit suicide, but he wasn't on suicide watch when he committed, uh, come on. And just a note about that is in order for them to take him off suicide watch, the head psychiatrist or psychologist at MCC, which is a federal prison for what it's worth, because some people were saying, oh, like the Department of Corrections, like New York City, like this is not a New York City Department or Corrections facility, um, has to actually sign off to get him on suicide watch, off of suicide watch. And then there was also an article in late last night in the New York Post that was an interview with a former inmate who had been held on the same unit, which is 9 South, which is probably the most secure unit at MCC, which is also where El Chapo was being held during his trial, um, who basically said, like, there's just no way for somebody to kill themselves in on 9 South. Like, it's very difficult to kill yourself in that prison, period, and it's very, very difficult on that unit in well, particular. Well, I, according to the reports that I read, he wasn't 
on, actually on suicide watch during the time that he committed suicide watch, even though he should have been because his inmate was reporting that he's suicidal. Um, mm. But yeah, to your point, Alyssa, if somebody is on suicide watch, they are being watched 24 hours a day. And they also, I think they're stripped down to nothing but their underwear and there's nothing in the cell. Like you cannot commit suicide. Right. Uh, Alyssa, go ahead. <laughs> I'm hurting our, our, our correspondent over here by accident. Um, no, I, I just wanted to get some comments. We're chiming in. Allison Thompson says that whole story is a hot mess and there's so much more we don't know. We and don't. I, I think and that's true. And there's so much more we may never know. But, but sometimes it feels like we're in an episode of that TV show with uh, What's His Face on Netflix. Oh, House where, of Cards. Yeah, House oh, of Cards, where like, people Look. are getting knocked off left and right. I'll say this. I'm I'm not a, I'm not big into conspiracies mm-hmm. and it takes a lot for me to believe them. I don't really necessarily believe the conspiracies here because I feel like we live in an environment where anything can be said and people just run with it, gaslight it, and it spreads all over the internet and then it becomes facts. Mm-hmm. So it's like, no, let's try to stick to the data, the information. This is There should be an investigation in mm-hmm. here. And once that in- investigation happens, then we can find out what happened. The data, the, the, the evidence says that he tried to commit suicide. He should have been on suicide watch. He was not. Right. The evidence also says apparently there was a camera malfunction about an hour before Ooh. they went to go check on him. You know what? If it smells like <laughs> crap, <laughs> then it probably... Okay. You know, like hard to say that one, Stanley. If it smells like fish, it's because it's fishy. You know, and we may, to your point, (laughs) even with an investigation, like who's doing that investigation? It's Donald Trump's Department of Justice. So they're only going to tell you the things they want to find. I mean, look, could it have just been a coincidence? Of course, you know, the simplest answer is sometimes the best. But like, it just, I don't know, something doesn't seem right. First, they found him on the floor unresponsive. Next, they say he hung himself. Mm. It does well. You know what? Speaking of things that also very horrible in the news, those ice raids that mm. happened in Mississippi, my heart literally broke when I saw that young little girl crying <coughs> out because after school, a school, a regular school day, her parents were detained by ICE, and she literally was saying, "My father is not a criminal. I need him. How am I going to eat? How is the rent going to be paid?" And I'm just like, "This is not the burden that we should be putting on young little children." Oh, but you know that the Republican Party is the family of party fa- party of family values. Did you no, hear? Course, yeah. Wait, my my. The more egregious part of that story, aside from the human aspect of it, that Selena also met, is that nobody at any of these facilities that were hiring any of these undocumented workers was arrested. Right. Oh, I mean, if you want to talk about hiring undocumented workers, there was also a report that came out in The Washington Post that the um, that one of the contractors that Trump uses for his facility also hires undocumented workers. Because the truth is, if you really care about undocumented workers and, you you know, the things that the Republican Party and the Trump administration says they care about, like America first and American jobs, then you'd think that they would go after the very corporations that are illegally employing people and crack down on that. Because if, you know, people. People only come for jobs that exist. If nobody's offering jobs to people that are undocumented, then, you know, not to say people aren't still going to come try and seek better life. But if there's no opportunities, then there's less people migrating to try and seek the opportunities. So, you know, but of course, Republicans only know how to protect the corporations and the big business interests. And this is never about uh, protecting American jobs. This has always been about racism. Well, I don't really care about. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I wanted to give Talib the last word because I know we're going to go on a quick break. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's a high demand for undocumented workers that's why they continue to migrate over here you know what, right. what are your thoughts on well, that well it's really it's really it's really all the game right it's really all uh different interests who are trying to uh get their own way like Alyssa was saying i, I really think that looking at the employers uh, who are doing the hiring is the way to go just focusing on the people who are the workers that's, that's they're just using them as a scapegoat 
No, absolutely. I completely agree. And it's so disheartening. We're continuing locking locking these young children up in cages. And, you know, all it's doing is fueling Trump's base. And that's what's the most irritating or frustrating thing to me. Stanley, quickly before break. No, I'm just going to say I'm, I'm sick and tired of feigning shock or confusion about the way these white people and Republicans are, are running the government and going out there undocumented people. Who cares about the Republican Party? There are children who are never going to see their parents again because of this. And we're doing irreparable damage. And everyone's pontificating about how trash Donald Trump is or how garbage Republicans are. And they are. But what comes of that little girl 10 to 15 years from now? What kind of person will she be or not be because of this, this, like this, this heinous behavior? We're destroying lives for fun. And it's, it's just like really just depressing. On that note, we do have to take a quick break. But stick around, guys. When we come back, we're talking about white radicalized violence here in America. you stanley look yes, at you being yes, all healthy yes. and health i, I, I just want to say the only white rapper that's allowed to be on the top 50 is eminem no eminem is a visitor still is an amazing rapper but he's a visitor so you know honestly he, someone said g easy deserved to be on the top 50 list selena stop trying to trigger me okay i am that's, i'm just triggering you yo this um, is, you see the verbal abuse i take i put up with in here <laughs> i'm sorry and, like selena. i love eminem's music and like he you know in my personal top 50 he's there but on the overall Mount Everest of hip-hop, can't really put him there because he, he's a visitor. Anyway, I would disagree. But um, yeah. shout-out to all those <coughs> who are watching live via Facebook and leaving yeah. comments. We definitely see them. Allison and Arinja left some great comments about um, Jeff Epstein as well as the ICE raid. So we agree with you guys there. But moving things along, um, I want to talk about the fact that our country is at war and white nationalists are on the attack. So although most of these attacks are local, their ideology is global and it's spreading fast via the Internet and by our white supremacist in chief who continues to stroke the frames of white nationalism. Last week, a terrorist who wrote that he feared a Hispanic invasion of Texas was replacing white Americans opened fire in a Walmart in El Paso, killing 20 innocent people, at least 20 innocent people and injuring 27 others. Authorities identify the suspect as a young 21-year-old white man from Dallas. Following the massacre, white nationalists who've employed terrorist rhetoric with increased enthusiasm in recent months expressed solidarity with the killer and even mocked the death of the victims. Now, the El Paso shooting follows a pattern of terror attacks carried out in the Christ Church in New Zealand, Christ Church, New Zealand, back in March and in Poway, California in April. In both attacks, the suspects published manifestos to 8chan that were saturated with white nationalist talking points, portraying whites as the victims of a plan for elimination. And as we recall, the Christchurch attack targeted Muslims, while the Poway attack targeted Jews. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, an investigation by the New York Times earlier this year found that at least a third of white extremist killers since 2011 were inspired by others who perpetrated similar attacks, professed a reverence for them, or showed an interest in their tactics. Thus, this further demonstrates that these attacks are not being carried out by lone wolves. Rather, it is in the name of white supremacy, which is a violent, interconnected, transnational ideology. Mm -hmm. And the people who subscribe to this ideology, they're gathering in anonymous online forums to spread their ideas, they're plotting attacks, and they're cheering acts of terrorism. 
So in this episode of Let Your Voice Be Heard, we're going to talk about white racist violence in our country and what needs to be done to stop it. So I want to start this conversation by getting your reaction to the shooting in El Paso and the shooter's manifesto, Stanley. You know, it gets to the point where you're kind of numb when you hear a shooting has happened. So I don't, I don't even want to lie. When I heard another shooting happen, I said, "Oh well, you know, it's, it sounds about right." Just when another I, day in America. Unfortunately, yeah. And then I, I, you, most for the most part, I just ignore the media now because the media is useless, and for most cases, at least mainstream media. And I know they were going to do the same thing of talking about mental health issues and, of course, video games. Uh, but I found myself extra triggered this time because. It's so very obvious that white people and white men in particular are like are a very dangerous threat to everyone and no one's doing anything about it. You know, along with that shooter, they caught a guy who was driving to the border with a bunch of guns in his car and a knife because he was going to kill a whole bunch of Mexicans. There was another guy who threatened to shoot up a bar in Ohio that they got before he can go there. This is nothing new. It is building up now. And instead of really addressing the problem, of which is angry white men, we're just sitting over here talking about Call of Duty and um, I don't know, Fortnite. Alyssa, your reaction to the shooter's manifesto? Yeah, I mean, look, I was like Stanley, less than surprised. And also my reaction generally to the manifesto was like, no-ish, you know? Um, I can't say that word on the radio. But like Donald Trump gets up on stage and he says you know, things that incite people to act in a violent manner towards people of color. Um, In this case, the shooter specifically said that he was inspired to go to El Paso and shoot at Hispanic people because he had heard Donald Trump say that our country was being invaded, quote unquote, by Hispanic people coming over the border, which number one is not true. And number two, even if it was, doesn't give anybody a right to go start shooting at, at people of color. But before I, uh, I I turn the mic over, I just wanted to give you a few numbers to what Stanley's point uh, before is that um, the ADL, which is the Anti-Defamation League, calculates that 73.3 percent of U.S. extremist related murders over the past decade were committed by right wing extremists, including white supremacists. The Christian Science Monitor reports that when it comes to terrorist attacks around the world since 2014, um, about, uh, that some of them have actually, we've had a few less, but um, while in general, but while Islamic terrorist attacks are decreasing in the Middle of East, we have seen a recent surge in attacks by white supremacists and neo-Nazi groups. They say that there was 65 terror-related incidents in the U.S. in 2017, up from six in 2006, and of these, 37 of them were tied to anti-Muslim, anti-Semitic, or some other racist or xenophobic motivation. And we'll get more into that later on in the show. Thank you for those statistics, Alyssa. Um, Talib, you know, reaction. The shooting just happened last week. And I can tell you, I had a very strong response to the fact that Republicans were blaming video games. That's what I felt strongly about. How did you feel? Well, as someone who has played uh, Call of Duty, uh, Call Mm. of Duty uh, Modern Warfare 2 was my preferred preferred title, I think your analysis when you started off, Selena, was really spot on. And I think that what's really missing from the conversation that we see in the media is this more in-depth analysis about how this shooting was a violent action that is reflective of what is a global ideology that is not new, that is historical. As a matter of fact, the Department of Justice, both under the Obama and Bush administrations, have issued warnings about white supremacist groups and their potential um, to commit violent actions on U.S. on U.S. citizens and non-citizens. So and we can we I know we, we can get into this a lot more, but I think that 
uh, the, the manifesto in and of itself is reflective of a global, or global ideology. If you look at the rise of, of right-wing parties in Europe and what we see here in America, that if we don't take this seriously, we're going to be in for a world of trouble. So, Salib, what is causing this radicalization? I mean, you know, Alyssa gave some stats. What you're saying is spot on. What's the cause of this? Well, I think it's not even about radicalization in a sense. Uh, radicalization is, is the sense of, well, someone wasn't thinking about this before. This is something, this is something that's new that wasn't kind of in the, in the water before. What we're not really seeing is radicalization. What we're seeing is, mo is, is activation. Yeah. Right. White supremacist violence has been a part of this country since the beginning, since, yep. since jump. Right. Yep. And all we're seeing now is what has been latent and what's been dormant has now been activated. And so now that folks feel more comfortable that they can go out and do whatever it is that they were that, that was already lying beneath the surface. And that's the, what we've been seeing a lot in the past few years. I mean, look, and they also have more access to guns in America in these days than they ever have in the past. And so we cannot forget that that's part of the equation. Um, you know, there are not that there are not dangerous people in other countries. Um, Anders Breving Beverick uh, in Norway killed 77 people at a government camp um, with a firearm. However, a lot of the white supremacist attacks or rhetoric that we see in other countries are in places where it's just not as easy. Um, not that it's impossible, but it's not as easy to get a firearm. So when you add in the combination of the way in which Americans are able to access firearms, and not just firearms, but high-powered military-style rifles in the United States, and then you couple that with the fact that most of those or a lot of those white supremacists and that ideology are coming out of states where it's very easy to access a firearm, then you basically have this recipe for something that's about to explode. Yeah, and to that point, in the manifesto, the, the murderer, the killer, even talked about which firearm he wanted to use and, you know, it's, it's pros and it's cons and this one would can kill more people and this one is going to overheat. So I need to, you know, like this was this was a lot of thought going into yeah. how to kill and destroy. Well, right? Stanley, and, and I know that we're getting some comments before we get to the comments, yeah. Stanley. I want to ask, you know, again, the question, who's to blame? What's to blame Why for this blame? increase of violence from white people? White, white, white people are sick. Um, white people are sick because they have had to, you know, work with white supremacy to hold and maintain power. And now there's an idea that they might lose that power and white people are reacting in a way that they only, the only way that they know how, which is to kill and to, and take over. And now people are actually trying to put those things into action. And because, you know, some folks don't want to actually admit what's happening and what the rhetoric has been forever, they have to act surprised and create other excuses for it. But the fact of the matter is that whiteness is a sickness and it's a parasite. And when you start to challenge that whiteness and when you start to take power away from it, the only way it knows how to respond is to destroy. Stanley's absolutely right. And I would say to me, the fact the reason why we're seeing so many of these back to back shootings, three reasons. Fear, right? The ideology right. is rooted in white racist's fear of what they call, and I quote, the Great Replacement. Yep. So basically, in the mid-1980s, 77% of the U.S. population was right, white. Today, it's 60%. And in 30 years, it will be under 50%. And that's why you continue to hear these pundits on Fox News and these people on Twitter talking about, oh, the browning of America. They are scared. They are anxiety-written. And basically, it's just history repeating itself. Another reason is, is the Internet. 
there are, there are dark pockets on the internet where this ideology and this hatred is just spreading. It's being unchecked and it's radicalizing people, meaning some people may be racist and some people may have a fascination with violence and guns, but it's because they're constantly in this communication at, in these forums. That's what's pushing them and triggering them to take like that next step. But the biggest trigger, if you ask me, is our white supremacist in chief, Donald Trump, who continues to stroke these flames of hatred, of racism, of violence. He's been, uh, it's been said that he's used the word invaders and killers when describing immigrants over 500 times. He's constantly portraying these people as like some invaders and it's, and that's basically what's triggering them to go out and kill. Yeah, and look, words have, words matter. Words have meanings. This is, uh, and, and again, I think I've made this analogy before, but I'll make it again because it's worth making a second time. This is the same kind of thing that Hitler did in the 1930s. In the early 1930s, there was economic strife going on in Germany. Uh, there was a lot of people that felt that they were being replaced or that they were going to be replaced by Jewish people who were going to essentially take the jobs and take the money. Hitler made Jewish people out to, you know, what he said be bugs that needed to be exterminated. And eventually, Eventually, that led to a situation where people were taken to death camps and, and killed. And so people in this country say, oh, well, these camps that we have, you know, we're not killing anybody. You know, like, that's not how it starts. It didn't start that way in Germany. It didn't just start with, like, let's take everybody to a gas chamber. It started with the dehumanization of people from rhetoric from the top. And, you know, yeah. to, to your point. On that note, we do have to take a quick break. Continue tuning in, guys. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about white radicalized violence in America. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHC are the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, I'm here stealing Fritz with Talib. Not Talib Kweli, not the rapper, but he could be a rapper if he wanted to be. Ooh. I'm also here with Alyssa Fuchs with the snapback pointed back as usual. And Selena fingernail emoji hill hey. she has a bright yellow nails and they pop okay first of all this is neon green stanley That's, let's get oh, it right oh, I'm sorry, I'm wait, color of the isn't season there, wait isn't there a line like that like a female rapper a, a buzz a bumble like a bee or something what, what am i thinking of <laughs> I, smoke I, like a butterfly no like i'm bee. thinking of something i know what i'm talking what? about i'm like help me out here but let's google it and get back to that this later. week in white <laughs> stanley <laughs> i think it's no. little kim yeah i you want to rumble with, with the B, bee, huh? Well, throw a hex on your whole family. family. Hey! Have your friends singing this is for my homie. And, and you know me. <laughs> Thank Got you for that. so sick. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't I say what it really said. Yeah. So um, we're back, guys. Yes, we are back. And thank you to, for shouting out my neon nails. Um, so before we went on break, Alan left a really good comment on our Facebook Live. He says, Donald the pedophile traitor is inciting a civil war Let's prosecute him. Alan, I'm 100% behind you because as we were talking about, it is Donald Trump is one of the reasons why a lot of these racists feel so emboldened to take their mask off, to march through the streets, mm. and to shoot up places. But you know what? Donald Trump is not only the problem, he's also just a symptom mm -hmm. of something that mm -hmm. is a larger systemic issue yep. that we've had in this country mm -hmm. since its inception. And that's the next question I want to ask you, Stanley. What's the correlation between white violence today 
and the history of white domestic terrorism. This is the way that white people have always reacted when they felt threatened, particularly to black people, but now to black people and non-black people of color. Whenever white people feel like black people are getting too much power or anyone's getting too much power, they respond with violence. Um, a perfect example of that is Black Wall Street, where you had this black neighborhood in Oklahoma that was doing pretty well economically, and the white people who were not doing so well came up with a false rape story and burned the, t- the, the town to the ground. When we had Reconstruction, all of a sudden you had a black elected official and they were passing laws the Ku Klux Klan came up and they were like we got to protect the white confederate ghost and they started burning down homes and terrorizing black people white people literally do not know how to react other than violence so this is about running the mill for them you know no, and, well hold on Alyssa because you know to your point I wanted to add another example I mean if you think about it there has been no time in history where being white wasn't the norm where you didn't have a whole mainstream constituency of people saying that this is the racial order that should be and you had either like legal mechanisms or political figures people putting this in place um you know we were talking about immigration earlier today it turns out that the first time the federal government banned immigration was in 1882 with the chinese exclusion act Mm -hmm. and not only that but three years later There are these white, angry mobs that ran up on a whole innocent village of Chinese people and they killed them. And I mean, it just adds the example of white radicalized violence. This history, this country is built on it. We killed all the they killed all the Native Americans. They enslaved the Africans and they killed anybody else that they considered other. Alyssa? Yeah, and and what was the reason for it? Money and power, right? And that's sort of the broaching of Stanley's, uh, you know, yes, obviously racism has a lot to do with it, but that racism in a lot of ways stems from the fact that white people feel like, one, they're entitled to money and power all the time, and number two, they feel like when they're losing their grip on that money and power, then they have to act violently in order to get it back. It was not that long ago, as Stanley pointed out briefly before, that the KKK marched in the streets, in in the 1930s, when Woodrow, well, yes, no, but I'm talking about historically speaking, when Woodrow Wilson was president, the KKK put on their hoods, came to Washington, D.C., and essentially held their equivalent of uh, a million-person march in right outside the national capital. And and part of what also comes into play about that, that a lot of people don't want to talk about, is freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Because... Uh, Free, you know, as much as we talk about the fact that freedom of speech is a good thing and we want to have freedom of speech to say things and that the government cannot criminalize you for certain ideologies, um, no matter how, you know, abhorrent those ideologies may be, um, freedom of speech also cuts the other way because there are countries like Germany where you have freedom of speech, but at the same time, it's also illegal to adopt a pro-Nazi ideology. Um, and so we have to ask ourselves in this country, and this is a hard question that even I do not know the answer to, is Where do we put the limit on free speech? Um, Because part of the other issue is some of the things that these people say online in chat rooms like 8chan and 4chan and Reddit and other places are not against the law. And the question is, should they be? And it's a very hard question to answer because on one hand, you could say, yeah, it should be against the law to have hate speech. And on the other hand, you can say, no, you know, we have a very, you know, absolute First Amendment right and that even abhorrent hate speech should be included with that. I would say no because white people would find a way to weaponize that against black people. So <laughs> no, no, we we got we got a lot of other stuff to deal with before we can start putting down hard like conclusions like that. White people would almost immediately find a way to weaponize it. Look at what's happening on Facebook where you literally cannot say white people or you will get suspended. Meanwhile, 
people of color and black people are getting called the n-word they're getting threats and nothing's happening well i mean we I've should been suspended be clear five times on social media facebook's not the government so no no no. but the point that i'm the point that i'm making is usually when you have a system put in place to hold people accountable because white people are the majority and they control all the levers of power they find a way to throw that onto onto black people in a negative way or for example you, you put something in to help people of color and who does it benefit white women and I'm very, I feel very comfortable in thinking that if we did this, the groups that would get in the most trouble are black groups. So all of a sudden, Black Lives Matter would be getting censored or punished for saying things, or pro-Palestine groups would be getting censored for saying something. And then when a white group or a white person says something, we would all gaslight each other and say, well, you know, how, how do we know what's really bad? Well, you know, great point, Stanley and Alyssa, too. Um, that's a debate that we definitely need to have at a later time or let mm-hmm. your voice be heard. Um, but, Talib, I want to ask the question of why is this global threat and danger of white nationalism ignored and slash or undermined? Well, it's definitely ignored and and slash undermined because it allows folks who are in power to keep power, right? Yeah. So, you know, although you know Stanley and I, you know, you know, go way back and likes to you know make very uh, uh, you know flashy comments, but we talk about white people and white people being bad. I think we have to understand that there is a thing of white supremacy, right? There mm-hmm. is a way of thinking. There is an ideology. The people who are now considered to be white, which wasn't always a distinction throughout history, <coughs> right? It was a distinction that was put in place for the purposes of power. Mm-hmm. People who are descendants of, of, of Europeans, of Western Europeans in particular, are not the global majority. The global majority are black and brown and Asian people. Mm-hmm. And folks on power and uh, realize that. And this is, you can look at this going all the way back to the rise of the Industrial Revolution and the rise of international finance and international banking. There's a guy named Carl Polanyi who writes about who writes about this stuff. So really, what this is about is about being able to keep power. And if you look at Dr. King, when Dr. King got assassinated, it wasn't because he said, "I want my you know children to be able to hold you know black boys and black girls to be able to hold and white girls and white boys to hold hands in 1863." When he started talking about capitalism in 1967 and 1968 in Vietnam, and that's when he became. Um, a threat when he talked about changing the social order of things and the, and the power and structure and the hierarchy that we have in our society nationally and globally. That's when he became a threat, and that's when it has to be eliminated. And that's what's happening right now. So, yeah. according to the FBI, far more Americans have died at the hands of domestic terrorists than at the hands of Il- Islamic extremists since yeah. 2001. But the agency, the FBI, they are still overwhelmingly uh, putting more of their resources towards thwarting, thwarting international terrorism. Stanley, why isn't white nationalist nationalist tra- terror treated the same way that radical Islamic terror is? Because if you do that, you got to admit there's a problem, and the problem is you. And why would they do that? <laughs> and and then also they're also investing more money into looking for black identity extremists. So people like me and Talib. Are probably in trouble. Probably more so me because I get real crazy yeah, on the Yeah, you're not, I'm not an extremist like Stanley. I'm not an extremist either. I just tell them the truth. They don't like it. But yeah, why would they hold themselves accountable? When does whiteness ever want to hold itself accountable? And I just want to plus one what Tali was saying about white people. It's that's they've white people have not always been white, and white supremacy and whiteness is a parasite they have taken on to build power and hold it. I want to co-sign that as well. But that's why. Right. Well, and I know we are bringing this conversation to a close, and you know, I'll say this. If those last two mass shootings were committed by someone who, you know, claimed to be Muslim, 
First of all, we would have had another Muslim ban on how many countries. We would have been putting so much surveillance on mosque again. And they would have actually called it a terrorist attack from the very beginning. They would have called it a terrorist attack. There would have been so many mechanisms put in place. They would have put sanctions on countries who they felt like were helping um, like ISIS grow. We would have did so many different things. But because the perpetrators happen to be white, we're putting a ban on video games? Alyssa, we need to wrap up this conversation. So, you know, you know, as we bring it to an end, what is it, what should be done to combat white supremacy? And as a white person, what responsibility do white people play in this? Right. I, I mean, a white res- white people play full responsibility, right? It's, it's, it's white people are the people who have to solve the white supremacy problem. Mm. This problem is not going to be solved by people of color. White people have mm-hmm. to solve it for themselves. And, you know, to your point, yeah, it, like when we talk about white people, I've always called it quote unquote right because like I'm white outwardly, but my family is Jewish. My whole family is Jewish. We were not considered quote unquote white for a long time. Italians were not considered quote unquote white for a long time. Irish people in this country were not considered quote-unquote white for a long time. So, you know, it, it goes to that power structure, and part of it obviously has to be with white people dealing with their own problem. Part of it has to be that we can, you know, get rid of Donald Trump and, and anybody in the Republican Party who con- continues to other people, mm-hmm. you know, because we talked about the way in which we react when an Islamic person commits a similar act. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing, and, and, and to your other point, which is capitalism, right? Part of the issue is we have to fix the way capitalism works in this country because a lot of these things are linked to holding power and that power is linked to the fact that people want money. And when you look at who owns the corporations in this country, essentially who owns America, it's rich white men that own these big con- own these big corporations. And the truth is that poor white people would benefit from working in conjunction with poor and middle class people of color to overthrow the systems of capital that keep everybody chained. But in the corporate owners use racism as a cudgel to make sure that poor white people think that the problem is brown people, the problem is black people, the problem is Muslims, the problem is anybody but them. And so whenever they feel like they're losing a grip on power, you see poor white people going out and committing these kinds of acts when in reality, if they work together and they didn't go out and do these things and they found a way to overcome late stage capitalism like it exists today, we would actually see changes in this country. Stanley, we're wrapping this conversation up, but in 60, 20 seconds or less, actually, what can be done um, to, to combat the ideology of white nationalism? Admit that whiteness is not real. It's a construct. Alyssa's not white. She's a Jewish woman, probably some lineage from Eastern and Western Europe. Whiteness was made up to build and hold power to push capitalism forward so you can justify having people work for you for free and taking ownership of their lives and their bodies. So let's start unpacking that for real. Talib, really quickly, any solutions, call to action that you can think of? First thing I think we need to do is make sure that we study our history and study how things came to be because it's, it's only you only can really understand the context of what we're living in um, by understanding how we got here in the first place and seeing that what we're dealing with is not new. It's just like the Matrix. We're on our fifth Neo. And shout out to little Kim. She told us back in the day, money, power, respect is what it's all about. Mm. Mm, thank you for that. And I would just say, you know, after 9-11, this country owed all of those victims Um time, energy, resources to stop a problem that was masked or or called, you know, Islamic terrorism, right? And we've been doing that and and fighting that battle for decades after 9-11. But what about the victims of El Paso? 
mm. which all had Mexican sounding last names or were Mexican nationals themselves. What about the black and brown folks who are continually harassed, killed, shot down, whether it be by the hands of a white police officer or by you know anybody else in this country? How come we don't care about those victims? That's what baffles me in this country. And I, I think that if we really want to get serious about white domestic terrorism, we need to make changes on a number of fronts. First of all, banks have a duty to not finance white nationalist organizations. Yep. Number two, advertisers, stop putting your money behind Fox News, which we know uses white nationalist rhetoric in order to uh, boost their own views. Yep. Mm -hmm. Number two. If you are a politician on the right or the left and you have any sense of what is right and moral in this country, speak up and put this country's morality on the line rather than your job. I mean, there's a number of things that need to be done. And on top of that, Congress, actually, they need to push what is being called the Domestic Terrorism Data Act. This would put more resources to stop and combat white terrorism. And if we don't support it, and if we don't call out our politicians for not supporting it, what's going to happen is, who knows who's going to be shot down next? Mm. And it's sad, but it's true. And we need to take a hard look at what this country is and what it's always been. And if we don't change, nothing is going to change. On that note, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to Let Your Voice Be Heard today. We appreciate all the comments on Facebook Live. We couldn't get to them all, but we appreciate the engagement. Guys, if you're listening on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, please share this show. And please also support us on Patreon.com with a donation. On that note, we'll see you again next week. <laughs>